Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Okay, we are in the last week of Nehemiah. We've been here a little while, and um, so I want to recap some things to this point. So number one, Nehemiah heard about home being in ruins. It broke his heart. He prays, he fasts, he confesses, he gets vision, he strategizes, he goes to the king, um, he visits and gets the lay of the land. And then he casts vision and despite opposition without and within and without again, (laughs) they get it done. 52 days, built, complete, gates in place. It's actually pretty Incredible. I'm no builder, but that seems fast to me because they're dealing with big stones and stuff. So 52 days, they're motivated, and they are once again a fortified city. And then Ezra reestablishes the centrality of Scripture. They have a festival that goes for days and ensures it's inclusive, the rich sharing with the poor. Um, They're listening and learning their Scriptures, which, if you think about it, they've They've been without a gathering where scripture was read out like this uh, for about 150 years. So it's a significant moment. There's some re-establishing to take place here. And then they had the infamous six-hour service of praying and confession and fasting that Bron keeps threatening us with. (laughs) Um, We had the covenant um, of the gun body, the priests, the, Levite, the Levites, and the chief of the families, and they declare that they will not neglect the temple and the key practices involved with the temple, such as keeping the Sabbath. So now we're finishing with chapters 11 through 13 today. <laughs> um, so I'm going to skip over some things, but I will keep you in the loop because um, we've been in this book over two months and we've learned so much, but we're stepping into hot Sundays next week, so we need to finish today. So I'm going to talk as fast as I need to talk. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to start with Nehemiah 11, verse 1. The leaders of the people were living in Jerusalem, the holy city. A tenth of the people from the other towns of Judah and Benjamin were chosen by sacred lots to live there too, while the rest stayed where they were, and the people commended everyone who volunteered to resettle in Jerusalem. And so it kind of feels like a little bit of a lottery, whereby you had to win to get in, but it's more the opposite. It's more like if you're on the boat with Jonah and and you take lots as who gets thrown overboard, it's... it's, uh, It doesn't automatically, though it's a privilege to live in Jerusalem, it doesn't uh, automatically mean that it's easy. Pioneering and rebuilding always comes with difficulty. We see in Nehemiah 7 verse 4, um, at that time the city was large and space plus, but the population was small and none of the houses had been rebuilt. So it was just a really nice wall. <laughs> so, Yay, you get to live there and you get to live there and you get to live there. And they're kind of going, oh, goody, I'll leave my perfectly nice house and go live there. And the rest of chapter 11 is filled with the names and positions of people who went back to town. So if Ancestry.com is your bag... By all means, get stuck at, but we won't this morning. Um, Do consider this, though. You might think, bunch of people I don't know, in a place I've never been to, at a time that is too long ago to think about. However, if you have decided to follow Jesus, 
you are grafted into his story, just the way that those names are grafted into our story as well. Um, This isn't just Jewish history. This is the history of the people of God, who you and I are today. So when they prayed through their history of God's faithfulness in chapter 9, that's our history of God's faithfulness, you know? So it, it does matter. Those names do matter. Chapter 12 starts off with more of a family tree. So I'm going to skip to verse 27. (laughs) For the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem, the Levites throughout the land were asked to come to Jerusalem to assist in the ceremonies. They would take part in the joyous occasion with their songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps and lyres. The singers were brought together from the region around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netaphathites. Those guys. And it continues on the lists of where people are coming from and what they're doing. And then in verse 31 to 38, it describes two choirs and musicians going around the wall opposite directions and they meet at the temple in verse 43. Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day, for God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and children also participated in the celebration. And the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. How cool is that? How cool is that? Let's be a joy-filled people. Bron's been talking about this the last couple of weeks. Imagine if the predominant impression of people flooding out those doors on a Sunday as we go about our week was joy hitting the city. Imagine that. That's what revival looks like. Acts 8.8, when the early Christians were scattered and some of them ended up in a city in Samaria, there was such an impact that the record states there was great joy in that city. We can do that. We can be that. Verse 40. On that day, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the offerings, the first part of the harvest and the tithes. They were responsible to collect from the fields outside the towns the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites. For all the people of Judah took joy in the priests and Levites and their work. There it is again. They took joy. So contributions, first fruits and tithes. Tithing has never been a tick the box. It is supposed to be the reflection of a heart to see the work of God go forward. That's what it is. It's joy. It's an expression of our joy of, wow, God is doing something. I want to be a part of that. I'm going to resource that. It's not, oh, they're good. I did it. I'm done. It's honoring God with our wealth, with our first and with our best. Is that a a next step for you maybe? Premeditated, predetermined, percentage-based giving. Okay, chapter 13, here's the summary. And feel free to read chapters 11, 12, and 13 in more depth at home. Nehemiah has gone back to Susa, the citadel where the um, narratives actually started. And it's 12 years after the wall has been built. And this is what happened while he was away. The first thing that happened was there was a priest called Eliashib, um, And Eliashib is given Tobiah. Now, you might remember that name. He was mates with Sanballat. (laughs) Why? 
I'm so grateful for John and Jack and Fred. <laughs> but you might remember his, mate, his mates with um, Sanballat and he tried to stop the builders from getting the wall done. And he'd given Nehemiah heaps of grief, this guy. Well, him, he had decked out a room in the temple for himself. Right? What? You don't do that. The second thing is the people had stopped providing for the workers in the house of God. So the workers had gone home to get jobs because, of course, they had to. But that meant that the house of God got neglected, which meant less people gave to it, which meant more neglect, and it was very quickly declining. The 12 years after all this great joy and passion. The third thing, they'd gone back to work on the Sabbath. The fourth thing, they'd intermarried. And again, remember this is not about race, it's about religion. And by marrying people who did not worship the same God, didn't share the same values, and sure enough, they were starting to see that their children were not following God. So this is what Nehemiah did to fix the problem. I think he got a little frustrated, which, to be fair to the guy, he took a lot of risks and did a lot of major things to see this happen. He left it in good hands, he thought. He went home and then 12 years later, this is what it looks like. I would be frustrated too. He takes it a little further than I would. (laughs) Number one, he kicks Tobiah's butt out of the temple. Fair. (laughs) And made his pad to what it was supposed to be, which was a storehouse for provision for the house of God. In verse 28, he also says that one of Sanballat's sons-in-law was priest, so he fired his butt as well because he's protecting culture here, because that is so vitally important. He's like, no, no, you guys let this happen. This can't happen. So he got rid of it, protected culture. Then he reminded people of their responsibility toward God's giving. All good. And then he um, got the gates locked on the Sabbath so they couldn't work, which is a little extreme. It would have been maybe better if the people had caught the revelation, (laughs) because if they don't, let's face it, as soon as Nehemiah goes home, they go back to work on the day of rest. So he locks the gates to try and keep them in to stop them from doing that. And then the intermarriers is next level extra. Verse 25 to 27. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin, I demanded. There was no king from any nation who could compare to him. And God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing the sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? Okay, so it's obviously a different day, but Pastor Bron wants to know if anyone is in favour of bringing back some of the disciplinary action, just to beat a few people and pull out some of their hair, just so the rest of us, if I could have a show of hands. Okay, so it's definitely not a majority. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> may have already been done for some of us. <laughs> uh, so what do we take away from all of this? Thank you, Lucky. We need to always remember the gravitational pull of us while we are on this 
mortal coil. We are constantly tempted to just live for ourselves, for the betterment of me and mine, right? That is the pull. It's our human nature. It's our culture for sure. And it's around us all the time. And so we have to consistently sow and sow and sow and water and water and water the spirit. Or our flesh will distract us all to heck. Just like here in a single generation, 12 years, all ground gained can be lost. Not on our watch, church. Amen? Not on our watch. We want to see this go forward. We want to see God move in our community. We want to see us walk out and spread joy as we leave, as we equip ourselves, as we refresh ourselves here, and then go out and be God's people in a community that desperately needs to see what that looks like, what the love of God looks like. And I know that you're with me on that. So let's sow and let's water, because it's so easily brought into decline. It's so easily lost when we just don't do that. Amen? Okay, let me pray for you. Father God, we just thank you so much, so, so much, that you've given us your word, that we can um, look at your faithfulness across the history of humanity and know that it is as true for us today as it was for anyone else. Thank you that we are part of your story. Thank you that you have equipped us with your spirit, God. God, I pray that you would give us a little joy, that we would know what that looks like, that we would be able to actually show it to others and that they might see you because of it. And Father, I ask that we would take on this cautionary tale, that we wouldn't neglect meeting with your people, that we wouldn't neglect putting you first, putting you first, God, and that all other things will come into alignment when we do that. We just thank you so much that you've equipped us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome, gents. Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, We'll get straight into it. Obviously, that video tells us a little bit about what you guys do for eye openers. Um, But can you tell us, um, what does eye openers do? Eye openers is a a multifaceted Christian organisation that aims to provide eye surgery to open physical eyes and restore people that are blind but at the same time present the gospel and open spiritual eyes so that people might hear about the salvation that's offered through Jesus and we've been doing that for about 16 years probably impacted half a million people in the time um, through eye surgery eye programs and the churches that we run yeah, wow. wow. Um, so obviously right now with COVID, there's some pretty crazy stuff going on. So um, with the COVID-19 situation in India currently, how has this affected um, Dr. Kumar's family and the eye openers team? Dr. Kumar is the doctor who I work with in India and he's just an amazing man who gave up a career that could have paid well but has lived in a village for years providing these services. At the moment, our eye surgery programs had to stop because of COVID. Our churches, which number over 130, are closed due to COVID, and people are just trying to hunker down in their homes. And you've probably seen on the TV um, terrible pictures of people dying in India, and that's the harsh reality. The numbers are terribly underreported because that really just covers the cities, but in the villages, they're dying in their thousands. We know quite a number of people who've died, including one of our Bible college lecturers, Dr. Kumar's sister died two weeks ago from COVID. His brother died last year. 
talking to doctors in this town who are Indian. All of them have got family members that have died in India in the last few weeks. So India's on its knees. The problem comes if you're poor and live in India, you're a day labourer, so you'll go out in the morning, if you get some work, you'll get your pay at the end of the day and that's your food for tomorrow. So if you don't work for the day today, you don't eat. So most of these people are not working. But the climate in India at the moment is terrible. This is their hot time of year, so about 50 degrees is the average daily temperature um, and high humidity. The rains will come next month and that gives some relief. But old people die in their thousands on a normal um, summer in India because if you get dehydrated and it's 50 degrees, you'll quickly die because they don't have air conditioning. The average house is about 15 foot by 15 foot and up to 10 or 12 people will live in that house. So we're faced with people in our area who are best dying from starvation. So we started a food program about a month ago and we've worked. The government is giving out rice but nothing else. So we've put together food packages which will sustain a family of four people for a month. And that four people for a month, it costs us $14 to sustain. So about $3.50 a week will keep four people alive. And when you think a cup of coffee is probably more than that. So far we've raised enough money to support 1,000 families. We had a, a trial of 500 and we've had enough funds come in to support 1,000 people. But I just asked Dr Kumar yesterday, well, how many people do you know of? And he said, well, there's at least 2,000 families just in the immediate area that could also benefit. So we've decided to try and extend that. Um, and the advantage is that a dollar given here goes a long, long way in that a dollar here ends up feeding so many people for a while and that dollar ends up in India right at the coalface because there's no money taken at this end. Dr Kumar and his team take no money at the other end, so 100% of money actually ends up in people's hands with food. So we're trying to feed a few more thousand people for the next month. We're hoping that when the rainy season comes, COVID's starting to drop in India, so that hopefully for the months after that, people will get back to being self-sufficient again. But at the moment, there's a desperate need. And as you may have heard on that video, we've got about one and a half to two million people in a 50 to 80 kilometre radius of where we work. And you obviously can't help everyone, but we can identify the people certainly close to our village that are in the most need and hand this food out. So um, that's where we're at on the COVID situation. Um, so, so you covered a little bit of this, but how has the pandemic affected the people of the area and the village um, in which they live? Yeah, people are just dying. Um, in the biggest centre from about 100 kilometres from our home village, it's a city of one and a half to two million people, fastest growing city in India and full of slums. And we've got pastors just living in slums, preaching the gospel in that, in that big city. And we fly in and out of there whenever we go. And at the moment, as of last week, the, the crematoriums and burial grounds, there was a Z line just going out of those with people with bodies to be buried of their family members. Um, people are being left by riverbanks because they um, are overwhelmed. And the problem is when it's 50 degrees and no refrigeration, decomposition sets in very early. So if one dies in the morning, they need to be buried by that afternoon. Otherwise, things get very, very messy. So, so every village is in the same boat from what we understand and it's just widespread across India. The only good news when you hear on the media is, and from Dr Kumar, is that at least 400,000 people were getting COVID every day two weeks ago. That's down to about 150,000 people a day at the moment. That's the official figures, but you could probably add a zero on that for the actual numbers at villages, but at least the, um, the <coughs> pandemic seems to be slowing a little bit. Wow. 
So how can we support eye-openers and the people that you guys serve in rural India during this devastating pandemic? Yep. I might hand over to Mitch, yeah. Yeah, thanks, David. Um, yeah, we, we've got a, an appeal going at the moment um, for, the, um, for the COVID, what we call the COVID appeal. And um, so anyone that wants to donate today, we're going to have a, a stand um, somewhere here um, this morning. And anyone that wants to donate towards that, um, you can. You can cash, credit card, whatever you like. Um, and, and whatever you feel that you want to give, you can give. Um, it all goes, as, as David said, you know, $3.50 a week to feed a family is just unbelievable. Um, yeah, they're getting rice from the government, but, you know, they still need other things to go with that, with vegetables and other bits and pieces for household stuff. So, um, so yeah, help in that way. But above all, we really value your prayers. Um, India really needs our prayers at the moment because um, the whole country's in such a, a state, of course. So if you want to see us afterwards, um, yeah, we'd, we'd be really happy to see you. That'd be great. Thanks. Awesome. Well, well, thanks, guys, for joining us. Is there anything, any closing statements that you'd like to make, Dave? Um, yeah, just for me, I've been involved in India for 15 years and it started, I really believe God called me into it and as I look back, I can see his hand on it. And the thing for me, as I've grown older doing this work, is it's so good if you can get involved in a project that's bigger than yourself. Most of us get caught up thinking, what can I do for me? What does the future offer for me? But for me, I've been blessed incredibly by being involved in something that, as I said, has now touched probably half a million people. We've got about 8,000 or 10,000 people in our churches spread across this part of India. So I just encourage you to get involved in something bigger than yourself because if it's God's calling on your life, you'll be truly blessed by it. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot for joining us this morning. Yeah. Isn't it really cool to just see the different missions that we're a part of as a church and the impact that, that they're having, but that we're having? Um, because we as a church, we're already supporting eye-openers and um, we get to be a part of that like David said, something that's bigger than ourselves. Um, so that's really cool. Um, and thanks again for joining us this morning. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.